the worst thing you could do is pursue something that seems like it has a great gross revenue potential and it's such a drag that you have a negative net income result from it. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangin, so let's get into it. Welcome to the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm your host, Benoit Thangin. I'm excited to have Steve Schward from Schward Consulting here. Steven, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Benoit. I likewise am excited. It's always good to see you, my friend, and I think you're doing a great service to the solar industry with these podcasts. I've enjoyed listening to them and uh, I'm honored to be a part of it. Yeah, definitely. Steve and I, it's crazy. We've known each other now for nine years, actually, since I was actually at Vanguard Energy Partners. And Vanguard's been a client of Steve's for a very long time. And we've become friends and colleagues, which is amazing in the industry, you know, how you you make such close friendships and... uh, Absolutely. And see the evolution, right? To yeah, see definitely. the evolution of of your career at different stops and then renew energy and what you've built and having the opportunity to collaborate together and have fun at the same time is great. Definitely. And so a little bit about Steve's background. You know, Steve founded Schward Consulting, which now has been over four years in business. And they basically focus on engineering specifically for solar. And we actually partner together on different engagements where we act as an owner rep. And I help with the financial feasibility. And Steve actually works on the technical feasibility. We also develop projects as well. And Steve helps as well with the engineering. But you do a lot more than just that. Can you talk about your background and specifically the services that Schwartz Consulting offers? We're both Rutgers alumni and fans of Rutgers football, which has been tough. Die die hard, but after this year, we won't talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But fortunately for Steve, he's an Eagles fan and they won the Super Bowl last year. I'm unfortunately a Giants fan and uh, we normally just focus on Rutgers football. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We'll forget about the NFL part. Uh, Otherwise, we might have to go to war. Yeah, definitely. My background, as you said, I I went to Rutgers University right here in good old New Jersey, where I got a bachelor's in electrical engineering. And from there, I went right into the consulting engineering field for the architectural building and construction industry. I actually had architects in the family, so I was somewhat familiar and started out doing electrical designs for commercial and industrial facilities. Supermarkets became a real focus over the years, worked on chains throughout the Northeast and the U.S. in general, but also doing retail development, workplace facilities, hospitals, industrial, etc. And from there, basically grew into roles of project management for MEP, mechanical, electrical, and plumbing. And as time evolved, grew into doing full management, business development, all those entities getting well-rounded and growing divisions and firms, but staying within that consulting engineering environment until stepping it up to leading the engineering nationally for an 
architectural and engineering firm where we grew from three offices and 100 people when I joined them, headquartered out of Boston called Cubellus, started an office in New Jersey with engineering here as well. And in four years, we grew to 500 people with 16 offices nationally oh, and one amazing. in Dubai and engineering in a half dozen of the locations until we crashed and burned after the uh, 2008 financial crisis. And from there, I went on to partner up with some old colleagues and friends of mine at KMB Design Group, started a division to do facilities and energy engineering, and the solar really um, became an integral part of that division. Definitely. And that's back in 2008. So you have almost 10 to 11 years of experience in solar engineering, which you don't find a lot of people with that experience. And I think you could bring such an interesting perspective. I know this on your website, it says like you've worked on 350 projects, 300 megawatts across 25 states, which is probably a lot more now, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> At KMB Design Group, it basically had achieved the few hundred megawatts before departing. And and they're they're still doing a, a good job over there. Here we've we've done a few hundred megawatts probably. That incorporates a lot of representation, due diligence, sure. feasibility in, in addition to the full service, full engineering. service engineering. And we met when Steve was with KMB Design and they were a client of Vanguard's and then obviously, you know, we're still working together with Steve and we're in their beautiful offices here in Freehold, New Jersey. It's amazing for me to see, as you talked about, like the progression evolution, you know, obviously from KMB Design to then starting your own business from scratch and to see how much work uh, you have and how busy you are. And obviously you guys had an amazing year last year as a company. And, well, it's solar, solar is good, <laughs> yes. right? Right now, solar is good. It's still a growing industry, even with the solar coasters that have that sure. have happened over the years. Going back, mentioning Vanguard, it's interesting that an old friend of ours who was on your one of your first podcasts, Alex Rivera, was actually a turning point in solar for me. Interesting. So my background, as I described it, was pretty energy intensive, especially with supermarkets, that in that environment, they have very low profit margins. They work on 1% and 2% profit margins, and yet they're very energy intensive, as you can imagine, with all the re refrigeration, the food preparation. So it was always a, a focus. And you know, whether it be in equipment or energy design measures or demand response, yeah. et cetera. And then sustainable design, I got into that in the early stages of the game, sure. late 90s, early 2000s. And with the advent of, of LEED, was actively involved in multiple LEED certified projects early on. And solar was really 
the first introduction through lead projects because adding renewable energy into your projects gained you points. It reduced your energy usage considerably. But sometimes it was back then, it was you were really just paying for points. The renewable energy wasn't a strong financial um, incentive, nor did I have a lot of confidence in the people that at least I was meeting and dealing with in the solar industry. Until Alex (laughs) Rivera, I have to give him credit in, I don't know, 2006, 2007. And I realized this guy knows the marketplace. He understands what's going on. And on top of it, it was just starting to become a viable option. And it kind of went from there. So back at the previous stop, our division that was doing facility design grew to over 50% on the solar side. Sure. And it was that focus. I really ended up spending much of my time engaged in the solar. And it was there that I, I wanted to take a pure focus with Schwartz Consulting. Yeah. And I don't think there's really many companies that purely focus on the engineering side on solar. And, you know, I always feel like um, when I'm talking to you, you add a lot of value when we're analyzing, you know, project opportunities. And first of all, you've looked at so many projects, but since you solely focus on solar and you've looked at so many different types of projects that you've seen through the whole development cycle and construction process, things that could come up. and Right. Experience is key in anything, Yeah. right? But also the way I look at it is I'm just not doing technical services, and engineering um, designs for customers. We were engaged in their industry. We know solar. I like to say there's a lot of companies that might do solar, but we we know solar. Yeah, definitely. And this isn't just talking about me or Schwerd Consulting. It's kind of advice to people in general. I used to teach my engineers the same thing when we would do different type of markets. Make sure you understand the client's perspective and their needs and the important aspects of the industry. It will only make your services that much better because you're trying to obtain the same goals that they are. Yeah, definitely. I think the key thing is like, sometimes I feel like people potentially look at engineering services as a commodity, but with the knowledge that you have and the experience, you're adding so much value outside, say, just a drawing that I feel like that's been a real differentiator, really the experience that you have, the value that you add in the whole process to basically make sure that the project's engineered correctly well, well, and thanks. developed correctly. So, I, I, you know, yeah. obviously I've worked with you a long time. Yeah. So I appreciate that. And, and fortunate to have a, a great extended team of engineers. And I think the value comes in that focus of looking at it from an overall perspective and letting the design teams do what they do best. We've created what I feel is, is a strong set of documents which was a focus when starting this and starting with a clean slate and creating reader-friendly documents along with my, my engineering team. It really just progresses from there. 
Yeah, definitely. You know what I was going to say? The other thing, Steve, too, is like, it's not like you're just focused on the engineering. I mean, you're, you're really up to date on the policy, what's going on, even financing. I've been in some meetings where Steve will talk about financing. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm pretty <laughs> impressed, uh, you know, because, you know... Uh, well, I don't always have you around, Benoit, so, so I have to. But no, that really gets to the because heart. So you, it, you, gets, you really look at the whole picture, which yeah, I feel like our, makes it unique as well. Right. Well, well, Schwerd Consulting, right? like I said, we have an extended team of engineers. And our services, I really consider it a solar industry consulting, technical consulting work. And that might start from feasibility to conceptual designs, to interconnect designs, and we'll add services as needed to the projects, rooftop structural analyses, civil engineering in limited regions and needs, and then on to, you know, right through construction and operations and maintenance. So it could be third-party reviews, owner representation, we do due diligence for prospective investors of of operating assets. Definitely. Yeah, that's very helpful to know. And it was interesting, you kind of mentioned, obviously, you were at KMB Design Group, and then you focused, you did a lot of work in solar, but then you started Schwartz Consulting to purely focus on solar. What were the different reasons why you started your own company and wanted to be an entrepreneur? And, uh, you know, this podcast is about solar and entrepreneur, and you fit both of that. So. Right. The timing was right. And timing is often everything, right? I've, sure. I've had opportunities in the past, even pre-solar days, but you know, kind of took the safer route, sure thing. And in 2014, I think we were on a little dip of the, the solar coaster. <laughs> yeah. um, and between my partners and their focus on their business and not wanting to really have to focus on the corporate goals anymore, sure. said, let's do this. Let's start Schwerd Consulting with the focus 100% on solar, be able to create a vision and carry it forward. And so far, it, it's been good. It's been fun. I, I've always loved the entrepreneurial spirit and as a business leader, you have to trust in yourself, but surround yourself with good people, right? And relationships and build on those relationships. And, and Benoit, you're, you're one of those guys that I, I add to that list, you know? We've had many introductions together mutually, and those are what you have to leverage and learn from everybody that you deal with. Definitely. Yeah, th th those are all great points. And can you talk about like what suggestions you have for, for starting your business? I know you obviously mentioned why you started, but what suggestions do you have for someone who's looking to start their own business? This is a topic I could probably go on forever. <laughs> you, you might have to, to shut me down. First off, you really need to make sure that you have the proper passion and expertise, right? Because maybe you have a concept, maybe there was an opportunity, but you have to be passionate about it. And I say that because, Benoit, you and I could be out having a drink and having this, this same conversation and, and talk about solar even in a, a social <laughs> environment, right? And then you need to plan. 
you you need to recommend to everybody prepare a business plan. Now, it doesn't have to be this large monstrosity corporate type business plan unless you are going into a capital intensive industry and and you need to present it to um, investors or financial institutions. But do that business plan because it will get your mind focused um, on what's important, what your goals are. It'll, It'll force you to even simply create those projections and cash flow analyses. And from there, I say, temper your year one expectations. Sure. Have confidence that you have clients ready to go or the ability to land work in whatever your business is going to be. But temper that because things often don't happen in year one or as quick as you would like. And you need to be prepared to have the wherewithal to sustain that. And then create your infrastructure. Again, don't go crazy. Don't overdo it to where you're not out there networking and selling and doing. But don't let your infrastructure being your tools, your your templates, your website, your marketing material, your IT, etc., Don't let that get away from you. You really need to set that up strong early on because once you are successful in your work and you start getting really busy and your, your revenue and client demands are high, to go back and create your infrastructure at that point is going to be like chasing your tail. It will be really tough. So I I say focus on that. Keep it simple because it it will evolve and you have to to improve it constantly. These are all amazing points. And these, I think, are all great suggestions that I would have for anyone. You know, the interesting thing I've noticed from watching your business, it seems like you have a very loyal client base and then you get referred to a lot of different opportunities. I know I refer you to different opportunities, but it just seems like you have had very loyal clients and then you're consistently building your customer base through obviously networking, but then also obviously the easiest sale is people referring and putting a good word from you, which I feel like you know is a huge aspect of why your business is growing and successful. You're absolutely right, and I appreciate that. We're fortunate in that we're we're not out there having to just constantly sell. I mean, you have to always sell. You have to sell yourself. You have to sell your your value. But fortunately, have been able to do it in a model where that door has been opened, and we just have to get the contract signed. <laughs> you know, versus having to really seek out customer acquisition and and when take advantage of networking, and that goes to continuing that. You know, suggestions for people starting their own business. You need to be able to sell and to close, but do it on your expertise. Sell your expertise. If it's a product you're manufacturing, sell the value of it. Don't just be a quote unquote salesman. Yeah, definitely. And what I've noticed from your personal sales style is you're more like an educated, showing your value, consultative sale which I think is, you know, a great way for like a professional services firm. Like I feel like I've seen other people with similar services and they're trying to do the hard sell, 
where you're providing the potential client information and trying to add value and see how you work together, but you're not really constantly sort of pushing. That might be because that's all I know. <laughs> because yeah. if I had to go out and, and sell a product, yeah. I might I might really be bad at it. <laughs> you but know. you have your own niche, right? And you're taking advantage of that. And I feel like, you know, when feedback that I've gotten from when people sit down with you, they feel like, wow, like you really are an industry expert and there's a lot of value that you could add to the process. And then they don't feel like you're salesy. You know, it's just, hey, we're we're just trying to figure out a way to partner together, which I think is a great way of selling versus trying to constantly. Well, that, yeah. that that's good to hear. You know, it goes to being real and transparent is what I know. I enjoy it. Sometimes people have to tell me to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's um, a key point, being sincere, being yourself. People know you're being, you know, genuine and sincere right. and transparent, which I think a lot of people value. Right. And I think that's a great quality. And it's also a byproduct of continuous improvement, if you will, sure. in the fact that constantly researching what's going on, staying on top of trends, understanding where different states and utilities are, are heading and, and what's in the, the future. And then also maybe because it comes across that way because I'm relaxed because right now I'm not focused on growth. Sure. I'm not focused on Schwerd Consulting having this unbelievable goal for top line gross revenue. Sure. And I've learned to say no over the years. And that's a another suggestion I I make to uh people starting their own companies or or leading companies and divisions. You really need to learn to say no. And through your experience and confidence to trust that you can spot a bad project, a client that's not a fit for you, because the worst thing you could do is pursue something that seems like it has a great gross revenue potential, and it's such a drag that you have a negative net income sure. result from it. Because it, it can not only drag down your performance across the board, it can suck the life out of you <laughs> and, and your team and actually reduce your time spent on helping you know, positive clients. helping clients and, and else. Sure. So. I mean, that's interesting you mentioned that because we have prior podcasts, you know, mentioned that saying no is very important. I think, too, it takes experience having your own business. You get a better idea and sense whether something is a good fit or not. I know you mentioned clients are not a good fit. Can you talk about what reasons maybe clients might not be a good fit and why you would say no with working with potential clients? Hmm. There can be a number of reasons, but okay, let, yeah. let's take something that happens to me periodically. Sure. And it's, it's not because it's a bad client or a bad project, but I say no to California work. Yeah. Now, California is obviously a leading state for renewable energy Definitely. and solar. It's a great market. I know you love California. <laughs> I love to visit California. I'm going to come see you one of these days yeah. in your office out there. But I really, although I may have done solar projects in California years ago, it's a very unique market. 
and we're on the opposite coast, I just don't feel like there would be value to the customer in doing it because there's a lot of nuances and, and local regulations. And I feel our time frame and our man hours to do it would be extensive sure. to where we'll lose out. Now, and that that same time and energy focused elsewhere can add benefits to our firm and our extended engineering team and our clients. And if it's a national client that is doing solar work, they'll appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. They'll appreciate that. You can be scared that, okay, well, you turn them down, you'll never get another opportunity. But if they're, you know, good people and understanding, they'll appreciate that. Oh, definitely. And I think that's the key, like being even transparent. If they're an existing client and letting them know, even I'm transparent with uh, clients that potentially I don't think would be a good client. You know, just being transparent, just in general, I think people appreciate it. Right. So. And going back to the engineering side of it, what makes a, a great solar project? Everyone has a different definition, but you've looked at a lot of different projects, commercial, industrial. You've looked at brownfields, landfills. You've looked at New York City buildings. What... what to you makes a good solar project. I might surprise you here and not get too technical (laughs) with you, but rather just say to me, simplicity. Yeah. Simplicity can make a great engineering project and operating PV system. And that's simplicity of design, installation, construction, operation, and maintenance. I used to tell engineers all the time, Check your ego at the door because it's not about creating a complex engineering design if you don't have to. Definitely. It's not about having these great toys in this system that you can play with. It's rather it's the benefit to the end user, the owner of the system in it being high performing, cost effective, and have a, a long life with consistent uptime. Definitely. That's key, simplicity in all aspects, I think, you know. And with that, go where the trends are, stay cutting edge, but avoid the bleeding edge. Avoid being a test bed. Because like I said, uptime is critical. Sure. You can have a really highly efficient and high performing system But if it's down a number of days through the year, you've blown that out of the water. You're you're still losing losing money in in the end. And then being able to understand that effective systems are more important than efficient systems. Um, This is what what I mean by that. A lot of times... People in solar can get hung up on efficiencies. And sure, we all want high efficiency, but you can have a system that has a lower performance ratio. And by that, I mean, I'm talking about kilowatt hours of energy versus over the kilowatts of power and have a a better dollar per kilowatt hour system. Because there's times that you can pay for wattage. And 
increase your energy output in kilowatt hours, which ends up being more effective as a cost model and having more energy in the final analysis. For instance, having a 10-degree tilt angle on a ballasted rooftop system is more efficient than having a 5-degree tilt angle on a rooftop. However, you can fit a lot more solar at 5-degree because you have lower... You know, row spacing from shading, and hence you can fit more on the roof. And it's a big trend in, in the industry. You can overdrive your inverters, have a higher DC to AC stacking ratio, where you can have more cutoff and some more losses. But in the, in the final analysis, that can really help you have a greater overall more effective dollar per kilowatt hour figure in the end. That's pretty interesting. I hear efficiency all the time. This is the first time I heard of effective, but that's a great example yeah, of talking and, about. Right. And efficiencies, it's great. We we need to continue to manufacture our solar panels with higher efficiency figures. But I try to make sure people don't get too hung up on that alone because the differentials can be lost so easily sure. in a poorly designed, engineered, installed, and maintained definitely. system. Yeah, definitely. That's pretty amazing. And this is actually kind of, you mentioned it a little bit, but what are some of the major trends that you're seeing right now in solar? Community solar. And I know you've sure. talked about that a <laughs> yes. lot. Um, that, that's a big trend. We could talk about a lot of technical trends, but I, I kind of want to steer it in a different sure. way in that what's going to happen in the future is something that people really aren't talking much about, but we're getting more involved in it. And I've said for years now that it's going to be a significant percentage of our business, and that's modifications, upgrades, expansions, basically renovations of existing PV systems. And much like the building industry that I'm from, there is much more renovation of existing buildings than ground up new construction. Well, as PV industry grows... And you have systems that are 10, 15, 20 years old and in high quantities, a lot of this work is going to be at hand. And that could come from having to modify a a rooftop system because of uh, changes to the building, to the roof, to the... um, you know, factors that are that are going on the roof. It could be because you want to expand your system. There's opportunities to to have greater energy outputs. So you want to expand that existing sure. system. It could be to repair systems Definitely. that have uh, become damaged. Or it could be you see an opportunity to improve the efficiencies within the system. Where the challenges are going to come in is you're going to have technology and equipment issues for sure, you know, whether it be material that's that's obsolete, no longer available, 600 volts, 1,000 volts, and making sure, you know, even 1,500 volts, uh, and making sure your, your components are compatible and not missed. But here's, here's, here's another big factor. 
that in the early days of solar, and when I say early days, <laughs> talking about when it was really becoming prevalent. So here in New Jersey, let's say 2009 to 2012, and SREX were high. And, you had the cash grant um, too as well. You, you, the, right. The you had percent. cash grant. You had $600 SREX, <laughs> and everybody and their brother was getting into solar. But that could happen at different timelines in different states as, as they keep going. So what's happening, your your designers and your engineers were, were learning and doing things poorly. You had installers not doing it right. You had construction that was off versus what it should be. But, of course, the codes have evolved significantly. Sure. The National Electrical Code learns and it recognizes the, the safety avenues that have to be written into the code for protection. So all those factors come into play that in combination with variances in, in municipalities and local officials, and what are they going to demand? Are you going to need an engineered set of drawings uh, or not? Are you are you going to have to upgrade to meet the latest code sure. when when you touch these systems? Which you which you should in general. Anytime you are modifying something existing, you have to bring it up to code. The existing portion untouched can can be grandfathered. So. All of this is just setting the background for something that's coming in the industry. And we're, you know, we've worked on some projects and we're going to continue to work on it, but it's, they're unique. They're, they're not going to be one size fit all solutions. And there's going to be greater challenges in those efforts to me than, than new systems are. We worked with PSCNG, who is, is very focused on, on safety and doing some modifications to an existing system that they had inverters that were, the manufacturer was out of business and they wanted to be able to make sure that their system could properly detect arc faults and eliminate the blind spot problems that are inherent in the older systems. An initial solution had, been for upgrades of combiner boxes and the inverters and in doing so restringing of all the modules we developed another solution to simplify it and allow them to use the existing stringing because anytime you touch the module you have to in this case they would have had to disconnect the module from the rack to redo all this wiring and then reinstall it. You can bet that you're going to have a, a certain amount of, uh, of breakage sure. uh, and even problems with, with your racking um, integrity. So that's just one example, but that's something that people are going to have to really be thinking about in the future that own these existing systems, be it an end user or a solar developer with a portfolio of sure. operating assets. Yeah, and it's interesting too because um, you know there's a big market now for in-service assets. So this will definitely be something that's going to be really big in the future. And it's interesting. 
how advanced and how much better installations, engineering, everything, just because now, and efficiencies and effective, <laughs> as you define, is, is just been incorporated over the past seven to eight years, you know, a- ab- especially in New absolutely. Jersey. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's why it can be much different in different states too, right? So even if if you have a designer, a PV design and an engineer that creates a solid set of documents in a state that's fairly new with their solar renewable portfolio standard and, and active, at least you could you could still have the design well, but if it's local installers and contractors, they're, they're going to be learning on the fly. On the fly so, yes. so sometimes it, it's not when we look at these older systems, it's not necessarily because everybody was just terrible at their job. (laughs) There was a learning curve. But I think too, uh, you know, if you're taking like a project manager from an experienced project manager and he's visiting or managing that site, hopefully potentially they could lower the amount of inexperience that maybe, you know. Absolutely. And that's, that should be done. And that's why it's always if you don't have the full contingent of team with that experience or you're not running the ship but you're owning it, it's always good to have a, a third party a reviewer representative. Sure. Actually, going to our last question is something that we talked about, um, how we were talking about, for example, like the New Jersey Community Solar Pilot, you know, now they're going to potentially start accepting applications. It's been approved by the Board of Public Utilities. In March, they're talking about accepting applications. And we had the really interesting discussion about how it takes time from a technical perspective, like just because they've approved a program based on um, policy, still there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the back end to make it actually happen, right? And this is a (laughs) recurring theme in solar with a disparity between the goals of a state in creating their renewable portfolio standards and their goals and the utility companies in that state that can really get you on the back end are not really on board. So New Jersey is actually a great state to develop solar. Even with the SREC market, yeah, it's certainly had its <laughs> its down periods, but there was confidence that in the state to do what it had to do to, to stabilize it along the way. And now we're moving into a transition period to, to a new model. And it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But with the community solar, I have multiple parties reaching out for interconnection designs, and yet it's still large question marks. So there's a a lag in that regard. But what's more challenging is when you have, let's say, a state like New York, which is is great and very active. We're we're very busy in, in New York from Long Island, Central Hudson, territory north of the the city to uh, all the way up through national grid territory in Buffalo area and upstate. The programs have been great. It's a challenge now moving to away from net metering and into VEDER, which is another subject. But 
what I... That's another I, example, by the way, of states like Governor Cuomo, who have amazing goals for renewables, 100%. Now renewables by 2045. But then the complexity with something with VEDER, which is the value of distributed energy resources, how basically what's the value for virtual net metering has created a lot of complexity because of all the different pieces related to it. And it's slowing development just because it's extremely complicated for a financier to get their hands around it. So Absolutely. And there's nothing more attractive or easier to work in, let's say, when the state utilities have net metering. Yeah. But there's certainly a big attack on, on net metering. Some of it understood because the, there's logic to the basically time of use, time of production, and when you're injecting back into the grid and assigning different values to both the um, the period of day as, as well as the the location urban versus suburban versus rural and what the grid can handle or where the producing where where the need is so it makes a lot a lot of sense (laughs) at times but we we still love net metering but in the case of new york and the utilities i have to sometimes temper the our clients the the developers and the epcs that um putting Veter aside, that they have a plan, they have a timeline, they have goals, they want to do it, and the interconnection process can be challenging with these utilities in that anything above 500 kilowatts requires redundant relay and protection of your system. And I don't want to bore your listeners with details there, but the back and forth and back and forth and then testing and approvals can really drag on. So, in fact, in New York, dialogue is always a good thing. So I was requested by a client of ours who does a a lot of work out on Long Island, some of the, the leading solar companies doing work in Long Island band together and got a meeting with PSE&G Long Island to discuss improving the process. And it was good. It was a, everybody was open and understanding of the others, but just trying to have the utility company understand the needs of solar contractors and then the contractors understanding the impacts on the utility company, all trying to drive it forward. And when you can have those open dialogues between utilities, solar companies, and the state regulators on the same page trying to work towards a a common goal, that's when you'll have the most success. Definitely, it's all about open conversations with those parties because nothing's going to happen if you're not transparent and open. So that's a great comment and suggestion. This has been an amazing podcast. If any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they get in contact with you, Steve? Well, LinkedIn is always a a great way to reach out. But a direct email is fine too. I apologize in advance for the super long email address, but it's uh, my first initial and last name. So that would be S-S-C-H-W-E-R-D at schwerdconsulting.com and reference the podcast and, you know, glad to uh, 
speak with anybody. That sounds great. We really appreciate it, Steve. And we'll have it actually in the notes as well, your email in the notes of the podcast. So that'll be easier for people to, to have it. So okay. thank so, you again, help. Steve. I appreciate it. This is very interesting insights. I definitely think it's very valuable for our, our, our listeners to get your perspective. And, and it's definitely a different perspective that we haven't heard from well, our previous ones. So. I, that's good. And I appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun, Benoit. I'm sure we can go on for hours. <laughs> yes, we and, could. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm really happy I get to see you here because unfortunately I will not be in PV America in Boston in a couple of weeks. And I just wanted to let your, your listeners know that one of the things I will miss up there is Benoit. And if you... If you think he's a solar maverick for the podcast, he's a maverick on the dance floor, too. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see if there's an opportunity in solar for any dancing. But as Steve knows, I, I love dancing. Once I hear music, it's uh, it's game over. So <laughs> and, and Steve, by the way, loves in certain occasions to as well go on the dance floor. And, and if you ever want to know about a good cigar... You know, definitely Steve's the person to talk to and is always up for going out late, which is awesome. That's right. Which is always a lot of fun. Solar and cigars, they go well together. (laughs) They go well together. (laughs) Thank you again, Steve. I appreciate it. Thank you, Benoit. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and leave us a five-star review. That helps us build this community, and that's what we're all about right now, building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can. 